0: So when I used to volunteer at a women's drop-in center, uh, we were pretty limited in the amount of menstrual products that we had uh, to give to people who used our services. So we were limited to giving them uh, 12 pads or 12 tampons only once a month.
1: Once a month? Yeah, so
0: obviously that's not enough for most people during their cycle. And we had to document in a spreadsheet, you know, when uh, someone would come in and ask for it, what we gave them, if it was pads or tampons, and they were only supposed to access this once a month, so we'd have to mark down whether they had already accessed it that month or not.
1: Okay, so confession time, Haley. How many did you actually give people?
0: <laughs> well, sometimes I would pull the strings, so to say, <laughs> and uh, pun intended. I, yes. <laughs> Tampon pun for you. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes I would obviously give it to them more than once a month because that's not enough to get you through uh, your period for an entire month, especially if you have a longer period or some people get it more than once in a month. Um, So sometimes I just wouldn't mark down if I had already given it to them or if they had gotten it more than once and sometimes I would give more than 12 or give, you know, kind of a mix of pads and tampons because we were only supposed to do one or the other or, yeah, just kind of things like that to uh, try and help out where I could because as someone who also has a period, it's pretty uh, difficult to be okay with only giving someone uh, 12 tampons or pads in a month knowing that it's not enough.
1: So you're telling me you're like the Robin Hood of tampons?
0: I suppose you could say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new superhero for everyone. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> in the next Marvel movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Red Dot Project. I'm Phil.
0: And I'm Haley.
1: This podcast is about homelessness, menstruation,
0: social justice,
1: social service field,
0: gender equity,
1: current events in the greater Toronto area,
0: and anything else that you want it to be.
1: So hit us up at
0: podcast at reddotprojecttoronto.org.
1: In this episode, we're discussing
0: homelessness and menstruation.
1: I do also want to shout out all the Seneca students at the Yorkate campus. When I plugged my podcast on the last day of class last week, some of them didn't believe me. They thought it was just a funny joke, mm-hmm. but then I actually told them to pull out their phones and subscribe. So I'll miss you next semester because I'm not over at Yorkgate, but uh, <laughs> I'll see you guys soon for sure. Convocation 2019. All right, Haley, let's get into it. Why are periods so expensive?
0: I don't know. It doesn't seem fair.
1: So in Canada, up until July 1st, 2015, we had something that everyone probably has heard of or has heard people from at least the States talk about is this tampon tax. Mm -hmm. While tampons were taxed, what are some of the things that weren't taxed?
0: I read some pretty ridiculous ones like maraschino cherries because, you know, those are a necessity.
1: Have you had a maraschino cherry?
0: Not recently, but I remember them being pretty gross.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think they're pretty delicious. I like my
0: sweets.
1: (laughs) So we in Canada no longer have a tampon tax. In early 2015, there was an initiative called No Tax on Tampons, and it took on the issue of the tampon tax. So after two months of speaking with politicians tax lawyers and social media strategists they built a campaign that really gained some steam especially after cbc picked up the story so within six months of this campaign we saw the removal of the tax again july 1st 2015 is when they took away this tax off of menstruation products but however we still see them a little bit expensive because mm-hmm. government still has tariffs on these products which actually generates four million dollars to the government yearly.
0: Wow that's a lot of profit from Mm -hmm. people who have periods. So the issue before with the tampon tax was that uh, menstrual products were being taxed as a luxury item instead of uh, a necessity. I think that uh, many people who need them would view them as a luxury item. (laughs) It's something that you need and having your period is definitely not a luxury for most people
1: yeah i think it's something about it being not considered something that is necessary for the well-being of Mm -hmm. your health is the reason why they classify it as a luxury item as Mm -hmm. opposed to a necessity Mm -hmm. and therefore we had a tax for so many years Mm -hmm. so in previous episodes where we talked about the history of the pads and tampons and menstruation cups, we discussed a little bit about how if maybe men got their periods, we would have seen some of these changes a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. Gloria Steinem has a pretty famous quote where she says, What would happen if, magically, men could menstruate and women could not? Menstruation would become inviolable, worthy, and masculine. Men would brag about how big and how much, Congress would fund a National Institute of Disseminoria to help stamp out monthly discomfort. Sanitary supplies would be federally funded and free. So that's a pretty common, I think, sentiment that a lot of people have about this issue that we've normally classified as a woman's issue.
0: Mm-hmm. I've heard similar quotes about if men could get pregnant, how there would be abortion clinics on every corner, and there would be you know, birth control and morning after pills that had all these different flavors and mm-hmm. <laughs> stuff like that.
1: Well, we see it with um, insurance benefits that cover viagra but mm-hmm. then they don't cover things like birth, birth control. control
0: yeah mm-hmm. you can't claim any kind of birth control or like iud or anything on your taxes and a lot of uh, iud's which are pretty expensive aren't covered at all by health insurance
1: of course viagra is covered because mm-hmm. that's a natural problem
0: it's medically necessary <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right so with Red Dot Project, obviously, we focus a little bit more primarily on homelessness and how that relates to periods.
0: The challenges that people who are homeless face when they have their periods was one of the main inspirations for Red Dot Project when we kind of learned about this issue. And since then, we've been working to try to address it as best as we possibly can. But obviously, it's a pretty Big issue, and not just in Toronto or in the GTA, but everywhere around the world. So, yeah, I mean, in Canada, there in 2016, there were approximately 235,000 people who were homeless, and that's just people maybe sleeping on the streets or in shelters, but not counting people who are uh, couch surfing or kind of staying informally with friends. And about 27% of those. People were women in Toronto.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. and of course, these numbers are never really good at describing exactly how many people are really homeless. Mm -hmm. There's many people who are couch surfing. There are many people who are maybe staying at friends' houses Mm -hmm. or living in a car. The definition of being homeless is pretty vague, and not everyone uses the same definition. So it's pretty difficult to get the most accurate number possible. I think last year or the year before the federal government did a point in time count mm-hmm. and that's where they got a lot of people one day around in you know, basically all over canada to go walk around and try to find as many people who are homeless and then do a tally of how many people they find obviously just listening to the description of it you're not really going to get a great number of people mm-hmm. so they yeah so they walked around they went to all the shelters. They just did a head count and gave the numbers out. So that that's where a lot of our statistics and numbers come from. But again, like any given day, someone that's not there that day, then they're not going to be counted, and then it doesn't show up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember earlier this year they did one in York Region called I Count, and uh, yeah, they went around counting people on the street or in shelters and yeah it can differ so much even from season to season right there's going to be a lot more people on the streets in spring and summer than there will be in the winter when more people might use shelters so it really depends on the variety of factors how many people you're going to be able to count that
1: and since those counts we've seen much more refugees Mm -hmm. coming into our country and into our city and unfortunately because of lack of services a lot of them end up in our shelter system forgot what the exact number they had it at but I think it's around 40 percent right now are people who are have refugee status in our shelters so our shelter system are always basically functioning at full capacity and those who aren't able to secure a bed have to find other places to live but that is difficult in itself but being somebody who menstruates and experiencing all that it adds to another level of consideration you must have in order to stay healthy mm-hmm. and survive how much roughly do you need for one cycle mm-hmm. how much does that cost you you know for some you know you're looking at probably about 10 to 15 dollars the yeah, supplies I mean, a month at least. and that's not including like things like wipes and mm-hmm. other things like that it's just for the tampon or pad and that's 10 or $15 more than somebody who is not menstruating would have to pay. So that in itself is already creates a additional hurdle for those who do menstruate that they have to consider.
0: Mm-hmm. I read somewhere that women send on average uh, $200 per month um, for personal care, um, including menstrual products and other things that um, men don't typically use so yeah it's definitely a pretty big cost to consider especially when you're already struggling to make ends meet
1: And I guess the general idea would be that people could just access a shelter and they would be able to get the supplies they need. In reality most shelters don't even have a dedicated budget for menstruation products or even hygiene products in general. They don't have that specifically built into the budget. So they can't really afford to add that right now. Yeah,
0: most shelters rely on donations of menstrual products and other hygiene products. It's also not something that people really think to donate because everyone says they want to donate food and clothes, and it's the same for places like food banks. Like obviously, they are more there to provide food, but people who go there also need menstrual products and other personal care products that don't necessarily... Get donated because it's not the first thing that people think of when they think of people's basic needs and what they might require. Another reason that people may not obtain menstrual products from shelters is being embarrassed to ask or kind of that feeling that the staff are in control of you know giving you access to what you need. It's sort of like they have power over you. They can decide to give it to you or not to give it to you, and they can decide how much to give you and exactly like what products. To give you, so they might not even give you necessarily as much product as you need or the type that you might prefer. Yeah, I think I I read one story of a person in a shelter who asked a staff member for tampons and they were just given only three and they were the regular one and that wasn't what uh, they needed because they required one that was uh, more absorbent. So yeah, just a lot of it does uh, come down to... If you work in a shelter, being considerate about the people that you're serving and what their needs are. So don't just, you know, assume that you know what they need and what's best for them. You know, it, it's good to try to ask them, you know, what uh, type of product you need? How many do you need? And, and sometimes that can be hard when you have limited uh, resources But and when you're busy. But it's definitely important to make them not feel hesitant about asking you and not to disempower them. That's something that I didn't think about that much until I read that because I work in that kind of environment. So now it's definitely something that I'm always going to try to think about when someone asks me for a pad or a tampon.
1: Yeah, I think when I read a similar article that talked about how some women are only getting maybe two or three pieces of either a tampon or pad for the whole week, and then I think back to a survey that we ran a couple of months ago where the average um, usage was about five a day. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't add up, obviously. So yeah. it leads us to wonder, like, what are these people having to use when they run out? So for the people in Toronto, there is some good news on the way for uh, people who access shelters. On June 27th, 2018, uh, Councillor Kristen Wong Tam of the Centre in Rosedale Ward, she proposed a motion which would have Toronto add a line in their budget that specifically states that they will give funding for shelters to provide menstruation products to service users. When doing some of the numbers, they came up with a number of, it would cost about 1.9 million dollars, provide these supplies to all the shelters in the GTA, and that would service about 22,000 women in the shelters.
0: Mm-hmm. There are so many, like, so many excess menstrual products, that I feel like, that are made, you know, that just kind of sit on store shelves or that um, people have just even in their cabinets. Like, I know I probably have, like, a couple of boxes that I haven't opened and, like, I might not even use, so it's just... Seems like such a waste when you think about that. Another aspect of um, the having these products or being able to give them out in shelters, I guess, is that even though the, like staff might have the best intentions, sometimes it's something coming down from above, like higher in the hierarchy, right? Saying like you can only give this many, or we don't have enough, so you have to kind of ration them or whatever, which makes it pretty difficult it sucks there is no easy way to put it like when someone comes and asking you for something that they need and you can obviously identify with that because you also have your period then it's and you have like the, enough privilege to be able to easily access those products it's pretty difficult to say no
1: we're going to take a quick break and when we get back we are going to talk a little bit more about why people don't access shelters how they manage when they don't, and a couple other topics that we have lined up for today. Haley, what is one of the worst parts of a night out with your friends?
0: Um, I would say maybe worrying about how you're going to get home afterwards, not wanting to uh, walk home alone in the dark or go home uh, by
1: yourself. Unfortunately, we are at a point in our world where one in three women experience some form of sexual violence or intimate partner violence in their lifetime. This is a real problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure a lot of us thought about how bad of a problem it is, but we don't always think about what can we do to help fight this so let me tell you about take back the night on september 13 2018 at 6 p.m at the riverwalk commons in newmarket there is going to be an event called take back the night have you heard about it yes i have we are going to have empowering speakers free food and great prizes there is going to be a rally and a march and some live music so the whole purpose of this event is to have women stand up and say that they won't accept this type of treatment any longer and they should be able to walk safely in the streets Mm -hmm. especially at night so if this is something that you are passionate about and would like to be around other people who believe the same things as you on this topic then please come out on september 13th 2018 at 6 p.m at the river walk commons in new market
0: and um, Red Dot Project will be there with uh, our booth, so yeah, look out for us uh, after the march.
1: Come and say hi, and we would love to talk to you about anything you want to talk about. There will also be a lot of other great agencies involved that will be having booths there also, so you can find out a lot about all the services available to people in the York Region area. So if you want more information, then you could definitely contact us. Through our social media or through our email, and we would be glad to get back to you with all the information you need.
0: And you can also follow Take Back the Night York Region on social media at TBTN York Region on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to Red Dot Project. In this episode, we're talking about homelessness and menstruation. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about people who access shelters and menstrual products there, how they can be in short supply. We're also going to touch on why people might not want to access shelters when they're experiencing homelessness and how that impacts their ability to access menstrual products.
1: So Haley, why don't people access shelters?
0: Well, there's a variety of reasons. For many people, they might have had a bad experience at a shelter. They might have been assaulted by another resident. They might have been treated poorly by staff. For a lot of people who are in recovery from substance use, they find it really uh, difficult to use shelters, access shelters, because a lot of people there are still... Actively using, So it makes it really difficult for them to be around those people. It's very triggering or uh, re-traumatizing for them. So they choose to avoid shelters in order to maintain their own recovery, which is uh, really unfortunate because it makes it a lot more difficult for them to access the services that they need. But it might be better for their mental health in some ways and, and not in others. It's really unfortunate for a lot of people experiencing homelessness that they might be too afraid or maybe embarrassed or there might be uh, other mental health reasons why they don't access the services that they might benefit from.
1: And we can't pretend like all the staff are perfect and mm-hmm. it, they always make a welcoming environment for people to be staying at these some of these shelters.
0: Exactly and a lot of people, staff and shelters are uh, definitely overworked, underpaid, suffering from a lot of burnout. And it doesn't uh, excuse the fact that they uh, might treat a client poorly, but it does happen.
1: So we talk about how often there are many women that don't feel safe staying in the shelter. There is another group of people in that conversation that we don't always talk about is the LGBT community and how safe they feel in the shelters and why many of them choose not to stay in the shelters because When they do, they would have to go back in the closet or identify as a gender that they don't identify as. So, and specifically when we're talking about transgendered people, Alex Abramovich is a a researcher in Canada that does a lot of work on the LGBT community and homelessness. And he put in a paper that one in three trans youth are rejected from shelters based on their identity or gender expression. And that's often because of the shelters not feeling like they could support these people. And also, the shelters are often divided by sex. And in order to house them, they force these people to go into facilities that are not aligned with their identity. Mm-hmm. And After talking to many youth that are living in homeless shelters over the last couple of years, being out is a huge safety concern for many of them.
0: Imagine, you know, having to stay in a men's shelter and then... Trying to ask for you know a tampon or a pad, <laughs> like not only is that something that you're probably not gonna find there, it's also something that could definitely put your safety at risk if someone else overhears you or figures out that you be trans because a lot of people staying in shelters, just like you know the general population unfortunately are misinformed about gender identity and uh, and being transgender, and they have a lot of uh, ideas that are homophobic, transphobic. uh, It's really tough. It's a really difficult environment for people who may identify as as trans or gender non-binary.
1: Yeah, for sure. The emotional toll that would have alone is enough to keep people away from them. That added with the fact that if a transgendered man needed to stay in a men's shelter they wouldn't have the supplies to help manage the period the statistics say that one in five trans people are at risk of needing or use shelter services currently so that's a huge number of the population is could be in a position where they would need these services that just don't
0: mm-hmm. and it's just being on the streets is not you know, safe for anyone but i know For LGBTQ youth and, uh, well, anyone who identifies as LGBTQ or trans, they're more vulnerable to violence and women who are homeless or sleeping on the streets are a lot more vulnerable to sexual assault, physical assault. And when that problem persists in shelters, it can really make someone feel that there's no safe place for them to go.
1: And for those who don't really know much about transgendered people, so some people might be asking, would a transgender man still get the period? Even with hormonal therapy and receiving testosterone, many transgendered men still do get their periods throughout the transition process and even a little bit after. Definitely spotting does occur throughout the process of transitioning and often the monthly symptoms of periods do still happen well after the bleeding stops. So Haley, what do people use when they don't access the shelters?
0: Well, managing your period when you are experiencing homelessness and you uh, don't access shelter can be very difficult. A lot of people will use things like socks or a rag, maybe like ripped up t-shirt, newspaper, toilet paper, cotton balls. Sometimes they'll kind of try to make a tampon out of toilet paper or like ripping out the lining from a pad and like wrapping it up and trying to make their own tampons. Not only is that ineffective or all those things are, are just not really good at absorbing blood, but at the same time, it's uh, it's not hygienic and it can cause a lot of infections and complications for for people. And yeah, it's, it's not good when they don't have uh, the ability to change what they might be using frequently or to wash it in a place that's clean because they might not have access to a clean bathroom or a shower. Uh, they're also yeah, not able to really wash themselves as often as they might like, which everyone who has a period knows that it's not pleasant when you uh, you can't shower or clean yourself during that time. So it makes it even more, uh, more complicated for people who are homeless and a lot of them really they they want to maintain uh, their cleanliness especially when they have their periods and it's really a really big struggle for them and it leads to a lot of feelings of uh, shame and embarrassment when they aren't able to access those facilities for a lot of people who are homeless the clothes that they have are the only that they're wearing are the only ones that they have so if it does get stained and they can't wash it it can be really difficult for them because not only are they their clothes dirty but they're kind of walking around everyone can see that there's blood on them and yeah there are a lot of things to consider about how difficult it is to get your period when you're
1: yeah if any of the listeners have time you could check out our first blog post in our blog on our website org. we have a post about this very topic and we linked a video by bustle.com and they interview a bunch of people that talk about what it's like to menstruate and be homeless at the same time if you go on youtube there is a toronto star clip where they walk with a woman talking about her experiences of being homeless and how she made pads out of toilet paper and some of the other products that she uses it will give you a better idea of exactly what we're talking about
0: mm-hmm. a lot of uh, people will also try to uh, steal products that they need from drugstores stores or grocery stores and then that can obviously lead to uh, getting you know charged and getting uh, in intro with the law so that's not great just for trying to get something that you need that's too expensive, right? And um, for yeah, a lot of people, getting your period comes with a lot of unpleasant uh, side effects as well, like um, back pain, cramps, headaches, nausea, depression, anxiety... And those things are, you know, difficult to deal with for anyone, but for someone who's homeless, they don't have, you know, a comfortable bed to go and just kind of rest when they're those symptoms. So it's really tricky to find a, a spot to kind of wait it out. And they, uh, often get kicked out of public places if they're there for too long, like a cafe or something, and they don't buy anything. So it's really, there are a lot of things, things that are not just the supplies, but the other, uh symptoms and side effects of uh, your period and not having a place to really or a way to manage works for you and that's consistent Um, another thing that a lot of people take for granted is just being able to access something for pain during that time as well and yeah a lot of uh, people who are homeless don't have
1: that ability one different area that we aren't covering so much today but we should make note is that being able to afford to manage your period affects a lot more people not just people who are experiencing homelessness mm-hmm, yeah. um, it obviously affects people who are living in low-income situations especially people like students
0: mm-hmm. i found uh, a study done by plan international canada that uh, They surveyed 2,000 Canadian women under the age of 25, and they found that a third of them struggled to afford menstrual products. So, yeah, it's not just people who are homeless, like Phil said, but it's a pretty wide range. And not only can they not afford menstrual products for themselves, but if they had a child that had begun menstruating, they often couldn't afford those products for their child. The study also found that 83% of women don't fully take part in activities because of their periods, 70% will social events, school, or work, and uh, not you know getting your period when you expect it or if it's late causes um, a lot of anxiety. It, a study found that 77% of people experienced uh, those feelings, so it has a lot of other effects on uh, people's mental health and participation in, uh, in activities, school, work, other things that are obviously beneficial to them, especially when they can't afford the products they need.
1: So if you may have heard recently in the news, there are some relief for students in some campuses across across Toronto. I think Humber College, so them and Centennial have announced that they are going to be providing uh, menstruation supplies to people, to students on campus. That was done through Ignite Student services. and specifically, Alyssa Lim is the one that we see that is the, I guess driving force of this initiative. Mm-hmm. And it was
0: part of a, a campaign called Free the Tampon, I believe.
1: There are many other initiatives that have been popping up across Canada and even the US in the last year or so. So we've been hearing more and more about tampons and menstruation in our daily lives than we probably ever have, especially if you never have periods. One interesting one that had a lot of people talking within the city of Toronto was there was a old newspaper box that was painted red and just had a white heart on it that nobody knew really what it was for. And it was a big mystery. And when you pulled down the door for it, there was like a safe like a keypad there and no one knew what it was for a long time well we will unlock the mystery right now (laughs) so apparently what it is is shoppers drug mart they worked with a group that uh, provides a code for people who need to access tampons and pads and when you punch that code into that box it dispenses a box that provides you with a few pads and tampons to help you get through the day Uh, they announced that they were looking to do a couple more of them across the city so shout out to shoppers drug mart Mm -hmm. and their love you campaign that focuses specifically on women's health
0: i guess the problem with that is that you still have to uh ask for the code or somehow obtain the code right and then you're still um only getting a limited amount
1: yeah i believe i believe it's uh five Mm -hmm. pieces that you get so i think it's two two pads and three tampons Mm
0: -hmm. but it might still help some people uh not have to decide between you know buying tampons or pads and buying uh, a meal for that day so for sure it's beneficial
1: so one of the ways that most people have heard about this issue is a initiative that's happening right now across Canada ever since United Way picked up this model. It originally started on April 7th, 2009, by CTV, the news or the TV channel, but the London division. They started a campaign called Tampon Tuesday. So basically, what that is is where they host at a Jack Astor's a networking event for women to come and network with each other but when they do that they come and they bring a box of tampons and when they do they get to eat and hang out together and network and talk about their businesses and things like that so they've been doing that i think monthly for quite some time now and now the united way has picked up on this campaign primarily focuses on the west coast with this campaign but across bc they've been hosting a lot of events that specifically ask for donations of tampons and pads so while we're on the topic (laughs) why don't we talk about red dot project and what makes us a little bit different than Mm -hmm. some of the other groups that we've been seeing with red dot project it's a small little non-for profit that and where we are a little bit different than some of the campaigns that we've mentioned is there are a couple of values that we really stand firm on and I'm sure some people may say there are pros and cons to where we're at with our ideas. But basically, the two things that we don't really budge on is we would like to offer people who are using our supplies choice. So right now... Unfortunately, we don't have every single choice available, but we do provide either tampons or pads. So anyone who uses our kits, they would receive their choice of tampons or pads.
0: Mm -hmm. And also we've been doing some mixed ones where you can get both.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we've actually started to provide both because a lot of people have been asking for mixed ones also. So we adapted and we switched it up a little we do offer three different types of kits mm-hmm. so there are the options for people which isn't always available in the shelters yeah it's because the and shelters is
0: what they have
1: yeah exactly
0: and the other thing i assume you're gonna say is uh giving them enough of the product to last for their entire cycle exactly
1: mm-hmm. so it's maybe it's difficult for some of the shelters and other organizations to do that particular one but for us it's very important that every person that we meet that they will be taken care of for that month Mm -hmm. and we are very consistent with where we go every month so people who have been receiving our kits for the last year know that we're going to be there in which week we are going to be there Mm -hmm. so we are going (laughs) into our 14th consecutive month and we haven't not gone to the places that we've always started to go mm-hmm. so it, if anything we've only added the locations mm-hmm. so we visit city hall moss park allen gardens uh, saint felix center
0: usually we walk around kind of like queen street a bit
1: right? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we walk a little bit around queen street
0: and uh the eaton center
1: yeah around the eaton center and uh dundas square And we also do visit the safe injection site Mm -hmm. near Moss Park as well. So, if you haven't heard about uh, menstruation poverty before listening to this podcast, if you haven't heard about some of these initiatives that's been going around our city, and if you are interested in getting involved in one of them, then for sure google or you could contact us too Mm -hmm. and we could either help you find what matches for you or what initiative works best for you and help you get involved with that or you could get involved with us either one works for us (laughs) because really it's you know we're all trying to work together and yeah try to take care of the same issue that we face the last numbers i saw there was like just under three thousand women i think in the city of toronto living on the streets so that's a number that i think if enough people care to work at we could solve this problem quite quickly so it is an initiative that i think is solvable mm-hmm. if we get the right momentum going so the music is playing now Haley. what does that mean
0: that means we're at the end of another episode of the Red Dot Project.
1: Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy what you've been hearing, then you could subscribe to us on most of your podcast player apps. Please rate and leave comments of what you like, maybe the stuff you didn't like, or what you would want to hear us talk about.
0: You can contact us with your ideas for future podcast topics at podcast at red.projecttoronto.org. See you next time.
1: Bye.